It is good to be back in the Midwest. I'm from north central Indiana originally. So to feel this fall air, and uh, it's, it's good, isn't it? So uh, uh, I so enjoyed, Pastor Richard, our time together yesterday. Uh, we have a lot of similarities in our backgrounds and our journeys. We know a lot of the same people. And uh, so he was just a much better basketball player than I was. But beyond that, we have a lot in common. And uh, when, when Doug Jones is here, he's going to be here when? In uh, November. Okay, he's a really, really good friend of mine. And it, I cannot tell you how happy it would make me if um, when he comes and preaches to you, obviously I know you're going to be very kind and you know great listeners and that type of thing, but if you would tell him after his message, just say what a great message it was. Tell him, compliment him. Say, Brother Jones, that was really a good message. And then just throw, throw this on at the end. Just say it was almost as good as when Brother Tony was here. I can't tell you the amount of joy that would, that would bring to my heart. So, no, Doug and I have been great friends for many years, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's from Michigan and a wonderful Bible teacher as well. I'm going to be sharing with you today from this book, uh, it's one of our. It's one that came out last year. It is called Miracles and the Supernatural Throughout Church History, and this probably is a pretty easy topic for me to preach here because you all uh, you know that God is more than just rituals and regulations and formality. I grew up in a very, uh, and I want to be very respectful in saying this, but I grew up in a very formal church. And it was very, it was very ritualistic, and um, uh, you know we, we, and it was good. Uh, we we r- r- uh, recited the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, which I love the Apostles' Creed. We prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. I'm glad. I'm thankful. I learned a lot of good moral things, a lot of good um, ethical things. Um, you know, good information that uh, I think made me a better person. Uh, but, but there was always, in my mind, I always realized what we are doing here and what is being preached here is kind of different than what happened in the Bible. Because in the Bible, they seemed to have, there was a power there. There was, you know, people, healings were happening and, and miracles were happening. And we believed them. We just believed they were all 2,000 years ago. And nobody ever told, nobody ever got up and said, God doesn't do that anymore. I just assumed God didn't do that anymore. Because, you know, what we did was kind of rituals and formal and intellectual. But I saw what they had was more kind of experiential. And long story short, right after I graduated from high school, a friend invited me to a meeting that was more like what we were doing today. People were singing from their heart. They weren't just going through the motions and doing what was written on a page, but they had their hands lifted up and, and you could see it was personal and it was meaningful. And uh, a, a gentleman that night prayed for me. I had a back problem from sports in high school and, a, and a, the minister that night prayed for me and the power of God instantly healed that back condition. 
it wasn't debilitating. I played sports and did things, but, but I knew that I was kind of in constant pain, and if I would bend a certain way, sharp pain would go down. And after he prayed for me, he said, young man, bend over and touch the floor. And he didn't know, but in the past, if I'd bent about right here, I'd start having that shooting pain. And the more I would bend, I mean, it was excruciating. I bent over that night after being prayed for and put both palms on the floor. Wow. Now, don't ask me to do that now. Um, but it's not because of pain in my back. There's just other factors, you know, that, that we won't go into. But, you know, Jesus said in the beginning, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then Jesus said this. He said, and these signs will follow right. those who believe. Yes. And among the signs were they'll lay hands on the sick They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. And see, that was not a part of my experience at all in church growing up because I think pretty much everybody in our group assumed, well, God used to do that, right. but not necessarily God doesn't do that anymore. And I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I never heard anybody say otherwise. Right. We have a couple slides here I want to show you. Um, if we could go to the one, let's go to the next one if we could. Uh, these are what I call supernatural expressions in the Bible. The Bible is more than just, you know, something you think in your mind and a way you behave. Uh, the Bible teaches about, and we don't have time to go into these in detail or in depth, but the Bible teaches these as things when the Holy Spirit is present that when he is working, these kinds of things can happen. You know, you see prophecy and serving and teaching and the second grouping, uh, what we call the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, and so on, and all the way down. Pastor Richard just said, you know, the, the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, these are all supernatural expressions. Right. How many of you know Pastor Richard is not doing this because he just decided one day that he wanted to pastor a church? And Pastor Richard is doing what he does because the Holy Spirit put a gift on the inside of him. And so we have these different gifts. And, and so, but, but when, when a person believes that God doesn't do what he used to do, uh, that that's, God does maybe some things that he used to do, but other things he doesn't do, then let's look at the next slide. You end up with something like this. You see, we've taken a, you know, we've marked through all of these different things. So, uh, teaching and serving are still okay, and uh, evangelist pastors and teachers are still okay, and, and all, but, but so much of what the Holy Spirit used to do is not accepted any longer. So much of what the Holy Spirit used to do is not acknowledged or received. And so we have to ask one of two questions. One of two things happen. Either God decided to pull 50% of what he used to do and just doesn't do it anymore, or we, the church, and I'm not meaning you personally or this church locally, but I mean just churches in general, have decided 
you know, we don't want what he's doing in those regards anymore. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, I'm going to take you through church history. And, uh, and, and please understand, I don't want this to be a boring history lesson. I, I want to show you how Jesus has walked in the church for the last 2,000 years. And whenever the church would accept, whenever believers would hunger and thirst for these things, uh, this is what we see happening. Now, um, uh, the, one of the common things that is said is, when the last apostle died, have you ever heard that before? When the last apostle died, then the Holy Spirit quit doing the miraculous. You know, they'll, they'll allow the Holy Spirit to do some things. He's still here, but he just doesn't do the miraculous things anymore. He doesn't do the supernatural things anymore. So healing and tongues and other gifts of the Spirit just are no longer for today, according to some people. So I, I've studied this real extensively, got a master's degree in church history because I wanted to dig this out and find this type of thing out. So what happened when the last apostle died? Does anybody know who the last apostle was of the original group? John. All the others died as martyrs. You know, Peter got crucified in Rome and Matthew got killed by an axe in Ethiopia and all these different ones, they died for their faith, which should encourage us today because they knew that what they were preaching was true. All any of them had to do to save their life was to say Jesus really was not raised from the dead. And, and, and they would have been spared, but they all died because right. they knew what they believed and what they preached was true. Yes. But John was the last of the living group, of the original group, and he died somewhere around the year 100 A.D. Uh, so what happened when John died? Well, we know two of his disciples. One of them was named Ignatius of Antioch, and one of them was named Polycarp, and they pastored in different cities, not terribly far from Ephesus where John died. And so what happened with them when, they, when John died? Did, did they just all of a sudden whoosh and the Holy Spirit was taken away from them? Let's look at this next slide if we could with Ignatius. And I do want to apologize for the pictures. That's just old ancient artwork. And I doubt very, uh, Ignatius was put to death. He was fed to the lions in Rome around 117. So probably around, um, you know, 17, 18, 20 years after John was put to death, or John died in Ephesus, uh, uh, Ignatius wrote a letter Ignatius was one of his, John's disciples. He wrote a letter to another one of John's disciples named Polycarp, and this is what he told him. He said, linger constantly in prayer, seek a greater understanding than what you have, ask for invisible things. Well, what are invisible things? They're the things of the Holy Spirit. Ask for invisible things that they may be given to you or manifest to you and that you may lack nothing, that you may lack nothing and abound with all spiritual gifts. 
Well, this is something that uh, Ignatius wrote to Polycarp, two of John's disciples corresponding. Why would he be telling him that he could abound with all spiritual gifts if the spiritual gifts had been taken away? It's because they knew that nothing changed when John died. John was just a man. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is the same. The church was supposed to be the same regardless of personalities in the church because we have the same Savior, we have the same Spirit in our lives today. Now, uh, Polycarp, the one who received this letter, had a disciple. And his disciple, so he would have been like a spiritual grandson to the Apostle John, his name was Irenaeus. And let's go to his slide if we could. Irenaeus uh, lived into the very beginning of the third century. So a hundred years after John had died, it says of Irenaeus, this is something that he said, that Jesus' disciples receiving grace from him, perform miracles in his name to promote the welfare of others according to the gift that each one has received from God. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Can you see that the supernatural was still in the church? The, The gifts were still flowing and miracles were still happening. The next slide, this is a continuation. He said, others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them and they are made whole. Moreover, as I have said, Even the dead have been raised up and remained among us for many years. It is not possible to name the number of gifts that the church scattered throughout the whole world has received from God. One more slide on Irenaeus. He said, We also hear of many brethren in the church who through the Spirit speak all kinds or possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages, they bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. So the church at the beginning of the third century, probably a little more than a hundred years after John had died, uh, they're still talking about this flow of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is clear from church history that the gifts of the Spirit did not stop just because the last apostle died. Uh, In the back, let's skip a slide and go to Augustine. Uh, Everybody's heard of Augustine. A lot of people may not have heard of some of the early church leaders, but if you only know St. Augustine in Florida, how many of you know the beach? St. Augustine. (laughs) And uh, he's really one of the most famous figures from church history. But he died in the year 430, so we're well into the 5th century. Augustine writes, he says, Even now, therefore, many miracles are still worked. The same God 
who worked those we read of, meaning the ones we read about in the Bible, is still performing them and, and by whom he will and as he will. In the next slide, another statement by Augustine, he said, I cannot record all the miracles I know. And he did record 70, seven zero in this particular book he was writing. He said, I cannot record all the miracles I know. And, and he said, many of our church members are going to be upset when they read this list of miracles that I did not include their miracles. But he said, if I'm going to finish this book on time, I've just got to cut, you know, I've got to draw the line somewhere. So he stopped at 70 miracles. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable, pretty amazing. One thing that, uh, that uh, uh, Augustine said that I really appreciate, it's in the next slide. He said, the Holy Spirit too works within, that the medicine externally applied may have some good result. These folks weren't afraid. They were not, uh, you know, Paul had a doctor that traveled with him. Luke, the beloved physician, and I, I would venture to guess that when Paul got out of prison and he'd been beaten and whipped and had wounds and things, I bet anything that Luke, you know, had some kind of special salve, uh, special something to rub on Paul's wounds. And I think Paul, oh, thank you. Paul called him the beloved physician. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for good Christian doctors that you know, we have a doctor that, that prays with us if we have anything medical going on. And, and Augustine said the Holy Spirit works within. Yes. So that if you do need medicine, when it's applied, it, it'll have even a better effect. Some yeah. people think that Oral Roberts was the first one that thought of combining faith and prayer and medicine. But it's been around in the church for a long, right. long time. Right. Let's jump ahead several hundred years uh, to a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux. And if you've never heard of Bernard of Clairvaux, how many of you know about a St. Bernard dog? Okay, I think this is St. Bernard. And I don't know what a compliment that is to have a dog named after you, but anyway, this is St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he said, now he's into the second millennium. He was born in 1090. He said the Holy Spirit communicates himself for the working of miracles in signs, and that word means wonders, and other supernatural operations, which he affects by the hands of whomever he pleases, renewing the wonders of bygone times. Meaning that when the Holy Spirit is free to work, he'll do the same things today that he did way back when renewing the wonders of bygone times so that the events of the present may confirm our belief as to those of the past. On June 9th, 1977, when that man prayed for me and my back was instantly healed from two consistent years of pain in my back, uh, I, I remember thinking, wow, what just happened to me is the same kind of thing that happened in the Bible. Yeah. I never had doubted what had happened in the Bible, but when it happened to me in the, what then was the 20th century, I, I thought, God still does the same kind of thing today. Yeah. 
And I actually was a little bit upset. I said, why hasn't anybody ever told me this? You know, we've just been doing, you know, rituals and things like that. But we could have had a lot more than what I had ever experienced before that. Uh, let's jump ahead to John Wesley. Ha anybody here grew up Methodist? Uh, my wife grew up Methodist. My mom grew up Methodist. I actually got saved at a Methodist youth camp. Uh, the church where I got prayed for um, and healed was a Methodist church. But John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. And John Wesley... Uh, we, we shared a lot about that at lunch yesterday, but uh, he, he struggled for a long time with assurance of salvation. And he, he kind of believed that, you know, you have to be holy enough to be saved. You have to be holy enough to be right with God. And he later discovered that we're not made right with God by how holy we are. Right. We're made right with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And when our faith is totally in Jesus and not in our own works or performance, then we can have an assurance from the person of the Holy Spirit that we are the child, a child of God. We are saved by grace God's grace through faith, through accepting that gift. And, and after John had some of those kinds of discoveries in his life, he came back to London and they were having a prayer meeting at, it was a New Year's Eve service. And, and so they started, you know, January 31st, probably very late in the night, and they were praying in the new year, praying through the new year. And John Wesley writes... At about three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us in so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. So, so people had, I'm, I'm not promoting just kind of whipping ourselves into a frenzy of emotionalism, but sometimes when people encounter God personally, uh, there's a reaction. Oh, yeah. And when the power of God fell and came upon them, he said many people cried out for exceeding joy and many people uh, fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement, See, I'll be honest with you, in, in all the years that I was in church, I was never amazed at anything. <laughs> right. I was never in awe of anything because, it was, number one, it was all up here. Right. And please understand, I'm not against the mind. The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing yeah. of our mind, not the removing, but the renewing of our mind. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Yes. But, but when, when Christianity is only an intellectual proposition to somebody, right. the Bible says to taste and see yeah. that yeah. the Lord is good. And that means we experience something. Come on. 
And I'm not trying to make experience the foundation of the Christian faith. The Word of God is the foundation of the Christian faith. But every once in a while, it's okay if we experience something. Come on. Okay? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So he said, as soon as we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at, that, at the presence of His majesty. See, this is what we're talking about. The presence of God is real. God is a person. And He, wants to, he doesn't just want to kind of watch us on Sunday morning through a big telescope and wonder what are they doing down there, you know, many light years away. No, when we gather, God is in our midst. I mean, He's on the inside of us. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. But I'm saying that Christianity, we need to look at our faith as something that is personal, as something that is meaningful, as though He were right here with us in our midst and that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that nothing is impossible with Him. And when you have an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of expectancy, then there's a lot greater likelihood that something's going to happen. Okay? Wesley also said our next slide, something very interesting. He said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. He said, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. That's That's pretty amazing. See, Wesley had been around long enough. He had watched centuries of church history. He was a student of church history. And he knew what we know today, because we've had even a few more hundred years to observe it, he knew that, that people will often or a group will have an experience with God. And God is very real and meaningful and powerful. But what happens as time goes on, people tend to fall into a rut of ritualism, complacency. Church just becomes going through the motions. Um, they, They get their traditions and things like that. And what started with fire and power and holiness... The next thing you know, it's just become a dead, dry organization. And that's something we have to guard ourselves against very much. And Wesley understood that. Uh, Let's pop across the Atlantic from uh, Europe and England. Let's come over to a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor up in New England. And starting at about the year 1738 or thereabouts... America was still colonies. There was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in America, what was called the First Great Awakening. And a lot of that came from a British evangelist named George Whitfield who preached up and down the Atlantic seacoast. But the pastor, the leading pastor and thinker and theologian of the Great Awakening was this guy named Jonathan Edwards. And he, he and Wesley were about the same time and pretty good friends and things of that nature. 
And uh, he said the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. There was scarcely a single person in the town, old or young, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. People were flooding into churches and getting saved. And when you read after Jonathan Edwards, one of the things you find out is that they had things very similar uh, to the charismatic outpouring of the 70s and 80s here in America. Often when Jonathan Edwards was preaching, the power of God would fall on people in the congregation and they would literally fall out of their seat. And, and some of them, they had one person who was stuck to the ground. We would call it slain in the spirit or under the power of God for 24 hours. It was not unusual to have people 16 hours. People would come from nearby villages poke their head in the church the next day. How long have they been down on the ground? They've been there for 18 hours. Haven't even gotten up, not even to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water. They're just, and when the people would get up off the ground, they would have had some kind of experience with God. Wow. And people were, I mean, the presence and the power of God. And, and the thing that, uh, that I've learned through my studies is that all through church history, there have been these types of things in episodes. Now, there's always been traditional ritualistic churches, and I'm not against anybody, but I'm just saying that, that when people would hunger for God and believe God yeah. and, and not just settle for traditionalism and ritual, but when people would hunger for Him, there would be great moves of His right. Spirit and outpourings of his spirit. Now, Edwards was a very intellectual person. Yes. And sometimes people, would, they would ask him, why do people fall down in your church? And then they're there for, you know, all the... Here's how, let's go to the next slide. Oops, I'm sorry, I missed that. Let's go back to the last slide. Uh, he, he would say, I, I skipped that one, but he would say uh, there are times when the spirit of God touches a person's life so that it is not unusual that they are devoid of bodily strength. Huh. Just a real fancy intellectual way of saying the power of God overcame them. I'm going to close with this. This is a, a lady in Europe. If we could go to the next one, please. Uh, her name was Dorothea Trudell. I know you've probably never heard of her. I never had. She was a florist. She was a florist, and um, when she grew up, her, her mother was very, very poor. The father was not in the picture, and uh, the mother had no money to ever take them to the doctor, her and her brother, and so she would pray for them, and they got healed. And a plague swept through Europe, and, um, uh, and, and people were dying left and right from this plague, and she had five employees as a florist, and all five of her employees got sick. She called them together, read James chapter 5 about praying for the sick. She prayed for them. They got healed. They started telling everybody, so people started coming from all over. And eventually, li listen to this, so many people were showing up at her door, 
that she finally began to take some of them in. When her home filled up, she bought another and then another. Her time was now spent in supervising the homes and praying for the sick. Hundreds of people were healed through prayer. The stories quickly spread and people came from all over Europe to receive prayer, including France, Germany, and Great Britain. There were so many people coming that her homes were considered a hospital. She got shut down by the government because a doctor filed a complaint that she was practicing medicine without a license. It, it ended up going to the Supreme Court, what would be their equivalent. She had 100 people testify, including many other doctors who testified that people were healed that they, that they doctors had not been able to medically help, but through prayer and faith had recovered. And the Supreme Court said, you go ahead and open up. You're not practicing medicine. You're just praying for people. You go right ahead. And all 100 of those testimonies are in the court system in wow. Switzerland yet today. Awesome. So God is a good God. And um, I'll tell you, what, I, I teach this for eight hours at a Bible college. <laughs> And, uh, and when I teach it taking eight hours, I barely scratch the surface in this little time. So if you want to learn more about this, we've got that book out there. And, um, but it's just a joy. But I want to pray for you before we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Pastor Richard and, and this church and, and the, whole, the family, the staff, the leaders, the workers and every person who comes and, and partakes of the, the Word and the Spirit of God here. And Father, I just pray that needs will be met in people's lives today. I pray, Lord, that, that uh, anybody that's hurting physically, that they would experience your touch, and that, Lord, uh, just that good testimony we had about generosity and reaping, Lord, we pray that miracles will be released in the families yeah. and in the lives of people here. Yeah. Lord, if, if people here have somebody who's away from God, then Lord, I pray that, that your spirit and angels will work to bring that person yeah. back to where they need to be. Father, thank you that in the days and months and years to come, that this will be a place of, of great miracles and great healing and great uh, just people changed by the presence and the power of God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Pastor Richard, thank you, sir. Awesome. Amen. Wasn't that great? Thank you. You know, uh, in, a, in a world where everything is being, attention is being drawn to the natural, yeah. we yeah. need, as God's people, to be focused on the supernatural. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I am just uh, hearing this today. I mean, I'm, you know, many of you are like me. Well, I already believe in healing, but when you hear these things, it builds, it build, it increases your capacity. It increases your perception, your understanding. And uh, I believe that the days ahead of us are way going to be way more supernatural than the days behind us. Amen. Yeah. The Bible teaches us that we should honor those who have labored in the word. Um, the Lexham English Bible says, the elders who lead well must be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor by speaking and teaching. God's word translation says it like this, give double honor to spiritual leadership who handle their duties well. This is especially true if they work hard at teaching the word of God. And so this morning it would be right for us because obviously... 
uh, Tony spent a lot of time pulling this together, studying, praying. Um, he condensed in a, an eight-hour session, 30 minutes, right, uh, to, 